The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. You people, you know who I am. But you don't know why I'm here. This is where the big boys play, huh? Look at the adjective. Play. Go at it live on WCW Monday Nitro, where the big boys play every Monday night at 8 on TNT. Hello and welcome to Nitro Nights with Cy and Scottish Danny. Looking back at WCW from the very first Monday Nitro, right through to the last, taking in every show they do in between pretty much apart from saturday night we ain't bothering with that nonsense danny how are you my friend i'm really well thank you very much sir how you, is yourself yeah not too bad mate not too bad first day back at work after a little holiday today as we record so uh yeah i only did half a day but i feel absolutely pooped mate i feel i feel very tired i can't believe you mate i can't believe you but good to be back at work yeah, well, yeah, yeah, so I suppose. I'd rather be sat at home doing nothing, but you've got to earn the money, aren't you? <laughs> definitely, definitely. This edition of Nitro Nights, we are looking at the, I suppose, go-home Nitro for the Clash of Champions event that is going to be coming up very, well, literally the day after, I suppose, as we're looking at this Nitro. The Clash of Champions was aired on the Tuesday night, and Nitro was naturally, of course, on the Monday before. This episode of Nitro first broadcast on the 22nd of January 1996. Uh, it received a 2.7 in the TV ratings, as opposed to Monday Night Raw, who actually won on the night with a 2.9. And it comes from Caesar's Palace, the site of WrestleMania 9, Danny. Viva Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> a lot less togas knocking around in this event, though. Yeah, but Bobby Heenan's still there. I wonder if he still had his uh, toga. I wonder if he still had the elephant. It was an elephant he rode, wasn't it? Yes, it was. No, camel. Camel, of course it was. Yeah, and he came in backwards, didn't he? Brilliant. Heenan's fantastic. <laughs> oh, he is. Yeah. <laughs> the start of this show is as Nitro tends to be, with Eric Bischoff, Steve McMichael, and the aforementioned Mr. Heenan running through the card and the matches that we have coming up. And it's quite a stacked show again, Danny, isn't it? We have two title matches tonight, Si, which I'm really looking forward to. Yes, and a third champion in action as well, which I'm not looking forward to. But we'll get to that shortly. We'll get to that shortly. Surprisingly enough to me, and in a way foreshadowing the result, but incorrectly, I suppose. But we'll cover that shortly. 
the world title opens the, the episode of Nitro. Uh, Randy Savage going up against the 12 time at this moment world heavyweight champion Ric Flair for the WCW World Championship. And again, we come back to something we've discussed previously on Nitro Nights, haven't we? Why isn't this closing the show? Yeah, that is that just blew my mind. It was like, I guess they were trying to just hook viewers in for, their, in their eyes, the real main event later tonight. Yeah, I mean, obviously opening the show is really, really important, isn't it? Because yeah, from a live crowd uh, perspective, the opening of the show is there to get the crowd off their feet and get them involved, get the, get the show started off on a good, on a good setting, I suppose on a good footing. But then also, I suppose from the TV Monday night war kind of side of things, if you hear, Oh, bloody hell, Savage flares opening nitro for the world title, you're going to put that on as opposed to Monday night raw. I don't know what raw had in their opening segment that particular night, but you're probably going to turn over and watch Savage versus Flair for the world title. So I appreciate it in a way. However, to me, the world title should always close the show in most cases, as we spoke about the other week. Yeah, I can see your point as well. It's like a more traditional point of view, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, get into the match then, I suppose. When Savage makes his entrance, he's preceded by a collection of ladies coming down all in evening games and so on. One of them is a woman who was associated with the horseman and flair and the dungeon of doom in the past. And she is coming out here in Savage's collection of ladies that they're trying to say is to play mind games with Ric Flair. It, I, I don't quite understand how that could be. If Savage just having ladies at ringside is going to be that dist- Well, I suppose it would be to Ric Flair that distracting. Look at what's happened in recent years and the stories that have come out, maybe. No, that's a great point. But the the thing that just took a big turn on this was Hulk Hogan had to just come out, didn't he, and wish Randy Savage luck. Uh, it's just, again, it's just the whole... Uh, the whole Hulk, Hulk Hogan overshadowing Randy Savage thing is rearing its head again, isn't it? This is Savage's entrance. His music is playing. This is his moment to come out. And Hogan stops him halfway down the entranceway to discuss if Savage wins, he wants a title shot. So straight away, even even, even if Savage goes on and wins the world title here, you're already thinking about Hogan just because that's been thrown out there. I mean, as much as Hogan annoys us and we've been hugely critical of him on Nitro Nights for the majority of the times we, we, we've spoken about him, in a way you've got to kind of respect how good he is at just being a bit of a bastard, haven't you? Definitely. He always seems to get his way just every single time. It's like, sometimes it feels like he's gone off script. That's how, um, how good, how masterful he is at this. Well, it's politicking to the highest level, isn't it? I suppose he's always very, a self-preservation maybe would that be a, would that be a right term to use here? He's very much looking after himself, his spot. And then I guess, via that his income so i suppose on one hand he's so good at it you've got to kind of respect that that ability to to be able to control the narrative i suppose with regards to what's going on on the show and with regards to himself but on the other side of the coin i mean come on you can hear in this episode especially later on when we get to the hogan match they're booing hogan strongly here that people are sick of this crap aren't they they really are. I mean, we, we've said it so many weeks now, so it's just like, when will this Hulk Hogan, uh, this politic end? 
Mm, yes. Yeah, well, I don't think it ever does, to be fair. But <laughs> uh, after Hogan has interrupted Savage's entrance, the Ric Flair comes out, and we don't see the belt again initially, but it's on under his robe. So at, l- at least we finally do see the belt when Flair takes his robe off and gets in the ring. But during the commentary, right, quite early on, but also throughout the match, we're getting told that Kevin Green, the uh, American football player, and Miss Elizabeth are both going to be at the Clash of Champions the following night. And the Road Warriors are going to reunite at the Clash of Champions as well. You're bringing out all the big stars there, Kevin Green and the Road Warriors with Miss Elizabeth. Was this Miss Elizabeth's um, debut? Um, I, I, I would assume so. We haven't seen her before, have we? No, I, I thought they would have debuted her on the main show Saturday night. <laughs> the main show Saturday night. You're never going to give that up, are you? You're going to keep never. beating that until it's thoroughly dead. Um, with regards to Miss Elizabeth, apparently, even though her and Randy Savage were divorced at this time, it was Savage who actually got her the job because she had no income. She had, and she, you know, she had, she basically had no employment, and it was Savage who got her a job and made sure she was looked after by coming into the company. Which, you know, again, I think Randy Savage, what goes on behind closed doors, you're never going to really understand fully. And there's lots of stories about Savage and Miss Elizabeth's you know, marriage and relationship and so on. But it was obvious that regardless of whatever faults there may have been on his part, he obviously cared for her very, very much, didn't he? Oh, big time, right to the end where um, I believe he sent flowers to uh, her family after she passed away. So he definitely did love her till the end. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, very sad ending for the pair of them. But anyway, here we get, I suppose, I don't want to say a standard Flair Savage match, but it's nothing spectacularly new we're seeing here is it but at the same time both of these guys are so talented that i'm okay with that i kind of know what's coming i kind of know what to expect and they don't let me down if that makes sense danny yeah it's very um it's like reliable you know you're gonna get a very good match out of these two and um yeah i really enjoyed this it's it like we said earlier it shouldn't have been the main event but it did feel big time Mm. well yeah yeah definitely and we have i mean a lot of punching kicking brawling uh, there's stuff going on on the outside randy savage tries to come off the top rope at one stage to the outside with that axe handle he does which by modern day standards when you're seeing guys do 67 backflips all over the bloody place you could argue this looks a bit tame but at the same time you need to remember randy savage isn't a cruiserweight randy savage isn't a small guy like the, the young bucks or whatever Savage is what, what it must be six three, six four potentially. I think he's billed at two hundred and forty five pounds. I think. I mean, I could be wrong with that. Apologies if I am. So this isn't a cruiserweight coming off the top rope. This is a big man jumping from the top rope to the floor. I think. It's, I think sometimes it gets a little lost how spectacular some of the moves Randy Savage uh, can execute. A little lost about how how great they are. It does. It's like this is to me. This was like the perfect good man versus bad man match as well. That's what I've written down. Is like um, each move mattered to me as well. Yeah, I, I think that's really important as well. Again, it, it's something that I've touched upon on other shows, but I get frustrated when I'm watching wrestling and things are done just for the sake of it. To me, it's. I know it's a very old school thought process, but to me, professional wrestling is supposed to be 
it, it, to me, it's an art form that they're putting on an exhibition, trying to convince you it's a sporting contest without anyone actually getting hurt. And I think that is, uh, you know, the guys who can really do it well, I think they should be praised for that. Now, with regards to Flair and Savage here, and I suppose it goes back to one, the one that jumps into my mind as a, as a perfect example would be Flair and Steamboat back in 89 uh, and Savage and Steamboat, I guess, as well from WrestleMania 3. They're all trying to win the match. So every move meant something, as you said, Danny. Every move, there was a purpose to it. As opposed to now, sometimes you see people do something in the ring and it's like, okay, well, you've done that effectively to play to the crowd, which is fine. Some people do that. I mean, you, you've had boxers do that. You've had basketball players, footballers play to the, whatever. I get that. However, it kind of sometimes takes me at the moment as a fan watching. I, I suppose suspension of disbelief is, is the phrase that people use, isn't it? If I see something in pro wrestling that breaks that for me, it's very difficult to get me back in to that frame of mind. Uh, and one that really stands out to me, and we see him on this show actually, is the Spinner Rooney from Booker T. Now, I know a lot of people enjoy him doing that, that spinning round efforts that he does. There's a time and a place for it, and it makes sense. However, we recently watched a Booker T match again for Chain Wrestling, Magsy and I, and he does the Spinner Rooney there. And I loved it because there was no need for him to do it, and his opponent clocked him with a chair. So it served him right, you know? because it was just a move that didn't make sense. It was just, why, why are you doing that? It's daft. But here with Savage and Flair, they're both trying to win the match. And it's a world title match. And it's good to see because they're both, you know, there's a lot of pinfall attempts and so on. They're both trying to win the world title. And that to me makes the world title feel more important. Yeah, that's a great point. So it's like, um, to me, I've always felt the spinner only should have been after the match, like if, if if Booker T won the match, but you won't see any of that uh, from these two. You you might see the odd woo from Ric Flair, but you won't see any like thing that will last like twenty seconds. No, exactly, exactly. And we get a few moments as well. Savage goes close to a backslide at one point. We get the standard Ric Flair figure four spot where he's grabbing the ropes and, and all this sort of stuff. But then eventually we get to the finish and. It, I thought this was going to get overturned. I'm not going to lie. We'll, we'll run through. We'll run through the finish now. The, the referee's sort of half distracted. Arn Anderson runs out, and I thought he passed Flair. The, or, he, or sorry, Arn Anderson runs out, and he's got the brass knucks that he's been using recently. Flair holds Savage, and he seems to hold him for quite a while before Arn actually throws the punch. So it kind of you, you kind of telegraph what was going to happen. Savage moves out the way. Flair gets hit by Anderson. Then Hogan comes down and grabs hold of Arn Anderson. The crowd are going mad at this stage because Savage is climbing the top rope and Flair is out cold on the floor. Savage hits his top rope elbow, makes the cover, but the bell is already the bell's already ringing. I don't think the referee has called for it, but the bell is already ringing. The referee counts to three. The bell rings some more. Savage's music plays. Everyone's celebrating, but I'm sat there waiting for a second ref or JJ Dillon or whoever to come out and overturn the decision because of the use of, of, of the foreign object, especially when you're hearing the bell ring before Savage makes the pinfall. But none of that happened, did it? No, none of that. It was, I, I completely agree with you. It was kind of like we're waiting for something to happen here, but, um, massive moment in WW Nitro history here. 
Yeah, and it was a big, uh, uh, you know, a big shock because the fact that I mean, I suppose in the back of my mind, I did kind of know the results. I knew Savage took the belt back off Flair. I couldn't remember when. So when I heard they were wrestling on this Nitro, when I saw they were wrestling on this Nitro, I assumed it was here. But then when the match was the opener of Nitro, I thought, okay, we're not going to get a title change. Because that should not, in your mind, you're thinking that's going to close the show. That's a big moment. That'll close the show. Then when you see the the shenanigans of Art Anderson and, and, and so on, I'm thinking, okay, we're not going to get a title change here. This is going to lead to something else. So I was really, it really took me by surprise when Savage then stands there with the world title uh, and starts telling Hogan to stop celebrating so much. He's celebrating like you've won the title. You're just my friend, which I thought was brilliant. Really putting Hogan in his place. Um, it really surprised me because I wasn't expecting the title change to happen. Yeah, completely the same. It was like, um, much a man is, we talked about it last week. It was like, um, He's standing up for himself more now, and you've got to respect that as well. Mm. Yeah, and he basically tells Hogan he's not the matchmaker. He's not J.J. Dillon. If you want a title match, you're going to have to go through the rankings and get to the number one spot, and I love that as well. It's like, yeah, come on. Just because you're Hulk Hogan doesn't mean you get an automatic title match. I I enjoyed that from Savage, too. Yeah, absolutely the same. Something I hated, though, mate. Something I hated. Little detail. As Savage has stood there running his mouth. Now, bear in mind, Savage is now the world champion. Savage has beaten Ric Flair, who was the world champion for a, a few weeks. The big gold belt on Randy Savage's shoulder. The nameplate still clearly says Hulk Hogan. I thought you would have uh, noticed that, side because I was just like, they didn't even still haven't bothered to take it off. I don't get it. How can, how can that be? I don't understand how that can be. I mean, how can Ric Flair be okay with that? Would Ric Flair, I mean, is Ric Flair checked out mentally by this stage? Is he already thinking, oh, you know, I'm already bored of this shit? How can Ric Flair walk around with a belt that says Hulk Hogan on it? I don't understand. No, it, it's, it's, it feels like a, a diss to all the wrestlers that are holding the belt, to be honest with you. I mean, it will never happen today. Never. No. No, definitely not. Especially with how WWE and so on sell those little nameplates now. It's a merchandising a little gold mine, I guess, isn't it? So, yeah. The next contest, we go straight into our second match, and we have Dean Malenko facing one of the four horsemen in Brian Pillman. Now, this has got to be a tough spot. Regardless of how good Malenko is, regardless of how good Pillman is, you've just seen a massive world title change. And to me, it, it does kind of feel like they struggled because the crowd was silent for right, weren't they? Yeah, it is, it's always a tough spot. I mean, you just think, we're going to put a good match on after that. The crowd will still be up, but no, not in this case at all. No, not at all. Um, Pillman here, though, he is fantastic. This whole loose cannon, crazy Brian Pillman gimmick, he's so good at it. You genuinely believe there is something wrong with this fella. You genuinely believe he, he's got some kind of issues. But again, it's, it's greeted w with no real reaction. Uh, he's carrying this long cane again, isn't he? This kind of walking cane, which he hides under the apron very early on. Still, actually, still as part of his entrance, but it never actually comes into play. So that was a bit of a weird one for me. That was. It was. I kept thinking, oh, "Is it going to come out? Is he going to uh, use it?" But yeah, it never did. No, I, I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing because. 
I mean, same with the main event. Sorry, same with the world title opening the show. I'm kind of thinking, right, we're not getting a title change here. But then we do. You know, pros and cons to the, the placement of that match on the card, of course. We, we, you know, we've already covered that. Pillman coming down with this potential weapon, hiding it, but then not using it. Normally, when you see somebody come down with a potential weapon and they hide it, you know that's going to be involved somewhere in the match. Now, it isn't involved in the match. So does that make Pillman look foolish? Or does it help the believability aspect because he didn't get to use the cane? I don't know, mate. It's kind of like a um, like a psychology weapon where um, Dean Malenko has to be thinking in kayfabe, um, oh, he might use that at any moment or something like that. It, that's what I can gather from that. Okay. Yeah, I didn't think of it that way. Well, that's a good shite. That's a good shite. Um, I mean, this match is... It, it, it's decent. It's good. You've got two guys in there who are as good as this. The crowd don't buy into it, of course, but it's still good for what it is. We have uh, Pillman being super crazy. We have Milenko throwing suplexes, a big brain buster effort as well. Pillman hits a good looking tornado DDT at one point. Uh, but then we get quite a messy finish, don't we? Do you want to talk us through the finish there, Danny? Yeah. So Pillman goes for a. a- DDT off the top rope but ends up um, getting a dirty pin and Dean's leg was caught in the rope and I thought that was a bit odd, anticlimactic Yeah, he couldn't he couldn't kick out because his foot was kind of trapped, it was at the middle and the bottom rope wasn't it, it was kind of wrapped up Yeah, Yeah. okay And Pillman gets the win here just uh, in a kind of tainted win yeah, I mean, in a way, I suppose I understand it because it protects Di Malenko. He's not affected by this loss because he's got an out, I suppose. He's got an argument of, I lost because of this, that, the other. However, it does make the referee look a bit crap, doesn't it? Because at one stage, he's literally looking straight at Di Malenko's leg on the ropes whilst he's making the count. But he still counts to three. So it does kind of not help the referee in this scenario. It's quite a... I can see what they're trying to do but it just it just didn't quite work. It was just a bit messy. Yeah, especially following that um, uh, match beforehand as well. It was like, oh, we can tune over to Raw now. Well, this is it. This is it. Uh, okay. But, I mean, after this contest, all the way through the show as well, by the way, we're getting more and more mentions of uh, the Clash of Champions the following night. We're getting mentions of who's turning up. Or, you know, pushing Miss Elizabeth and, and, and Kevin Green. All these people are really, it's like every 10 minutes, Bischoff is reminding us what's going to happen, which is, again, good promotion for his company, good promotion for his TV show, you know, but at the same time, it's a little bit, okay, mate, just, just tone it back slightly. He, he definitely had a lot of coffee before this. <laughs> yeah, <I don't. laughs> uh, Our next contest is, so I'll be honest with you, Danny, something that I could have done with some coffee for. To be fair, and I don't even drink coffee. Maybe a can of Red Bull or something like that. Other energy drinks are available, of course. Um, Harlem Heat are facing the uh, friends or foes, odd couple tag team of Sting and Lex Luger. The WCW World Tag Team Championships are on the line. Harlem Heat come out first, which I know will probably be bothering you a little bit because the champions should always come out second, shouldn't they? Absolutely. <laughs> Sting and Luger both come out. Uh, <sighs> I'm not going to lie to you here, Danny. I fell asleep. I don't blame you, Sai. But this was like a, a standard Hoss match, as um, the internet likes to say. It was four big men. Um, 
one thing I did notice about this was uh, Sting's hair is now fully back to its natural colours. No longer bits of blonde in there or anything like that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I remember the entrances, and I got I got a couple of notes here about the match, but I dozed off because I found it, especially when Harlem Heat took control, it was very very slow. Now they're they're working Sting over here. Sting's the main uh, the main opponent that they're beating upon. And Sting is, I mean, he's he's at one stage in the match that I remember, he's selling like he's dead. There's, he's, he's out of it, completely out of it. So Harlem Heat are like dropping maybe one elbow drop and then they stroll around for a bit and then they drop a knee drop and it's just so slow. And that and the combination of watching it upstairs led on my bed and the fact that I was back at work earlier this morning, I think it was too much, mate. And I dozed off for a little bit. So <laughs> I woke I, up in time. Sorry, go on. No, I was going to say, I don't blame you at all. It was very plodding. Yeah, yeah, it really was. Uh, I woke up in time to see Booker T miss the Harlem hangover, that kind of forward flip leg drop effort he does off the top rope. Well, in the match, we had um, Jimmy Hart pass something to Lex Luger, but we didn't know what it was until Lex Luger used, uh, it was a roll of quarters, as they say in America, and uh, he knocked Stevie Ray out with it and got the actual one, two, three with it, even though the coins were around, all scattered around the ring. Yeah, that was, that's a little odd. I, I get that they're in Vegas and they're, they're try, I suppose, trying to play into that a little bit. The, the, the quarters, the slot machines, the gambling. I, I, I appreciate that. But that's an odd foreign object to use, isn't it? Let's be honest. It's something you'd never see today. That's what um, we're saying. But you just making that connection to Las Vegas, that that um, helped me uh, figure out why they're using coins there because I was completely lost. But as well, I mean, Luger holds it in his hand. If you imagine, obviously, this is an audio podcast, so it's very difficult to sort of show people who, who haven't seen this match themselves. But if you imagine making a fist, Luger's got the coins inside his fist. So it's not like he's even hitting stevie ray with the actual metal itself he's still just hitting stevie ray with his own hand and then the coins go bloody everywhere i mean i've seen i've seen people have you know a row of coins tucked and wrapped tightly in a sock and use it as a weapon that way you know but to have it in your hand it's i don't know if it like, would it reinforce your fist to make you punch harder i don't know yeah <laughs> no it does um that's something i think my uncle told me that years ago he said if you actually hold something in your hand it, it does make you punch harder ah okay well there you go lex luger must have known your uncle as well mate <laughs> maybe maybe <laughs> but we do have new tag team champions a big deal is made here though of Sting not seeing what Luger did. The commentary team are really pushing the fact that even though there's coins everywhere and Stevie Ray is unconscious and all of a sudden, out of the blue, Sting is, you know, one half of the tag team champions, Sting cannot figure out what's happened. It goes back to what you were saying a couple of weeks ago, so Sting is just very gullible. But this is excellent character work um, and storyline work, to be honest with you, but he's very gullible. Yeah, and again, the Sting-Luger sort of up and down odd couple relationship sort of thing is one of the most interesting things on nitro for me at the moment you know when are they going to turn if are they going to turn who's going to turn on who how's it going to happen you know i find it really interesting yeah same here and it's like what else will sting miss and it's got to the point now where is sting missing this on purpose 
That's what yeah. I'm asking myself. See, that's what I asked. Does he know about what Luger's doing? He just doesn't want to admit it. And there's layers to this. And I think that's really good TV. It's really, really good storytelling by everyone involved. So, yeah. Uh, I suppose we better discuss our main event, though, Danny, aren't we? We're here, sir. We uh, made it. We have Hulk Hogan wrestling the one-man gang, who is the United States champion. But the title is not on the line. So obviously we're just and it's Hulk Hogan in the main event of the weekly TV show and the title is not on the line. So we're obviously just feeding Hogan a big bad guy for him to beat. That's apparent. However, why have your US champion be defeated here in quite an easy fashion as well? Because one, it does no favors for the United States Championship because if that is the guy who's holding it, my goodness, you know, it can't be that high value championship, can it really? And then two, the one man gang himself looks incredibly weak. So why, why, I mean, WCW has got a, a massive pool of money. It's got a big talent roster. I appreciate the story as Hogan's going through the dungeon of doom and so on, but why not just feed him somebody else? If Hogan must go on last, which I don't think he has to, if Hogan must go on last instead of the world title match and be fed a big monster heel to destroy, very similar to how he used to in the 80s, if that's the situation that Bischoff and Hogan have decided that they're going to go with, why not feed the guy somebody else? Protect your, your United States champion and protect your United States title, Danny. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. So it's like, oh, it's like, I just picture Hulk Hogan just going into the locker room and finding the biggest wrestler and saying, I'll have him. It doesn't matter if the uh, if the US title was online or not. Hulk Hogan just wants to look dominant here. Yes, very true. Very true. And, and he does here as well, to be fair. I mean, to be fair, I mean, Hogan, he's such a heel. He's biting. He's raking the one-man gang's eyes. And when the one-man gang turns around from his eye raking, he does it again. At one stage, he gives just a flight thumb in the eye. It's just like, this is a, he's, he's literally wrestling as a bad guy. But in the 80s, this got him cheers. I still can't figure out how. I mean, I've watched many Hulk Hogan matches from late 89, 85, things like that. And it's just all of them, his wrestling's as just like this. Um, I did write down one man game looked way, he sold way too much. Um, for, I mean, I know it's Hulk Hogan, but as you said, it just, it just looked completely just, just watered down. Yeah, there was one moment where I, I can't remember the movie took, it may have been a couple of punches, but he wanders around the ring wobbly and it's just comical, but not comical in a way that makes you laugh. It's just comical in a sad way. It's too cartoony. And this is why people were turning the WWF off in 95 going into 96. WCW was, was picking up popularity because of what they were doing. And then you see this go on last. Some of those fans must be thinking, ah, what am I watching? That's a great point as well. It's like, I think the one of the uh, most prominent examples is um, when Vader faced Hulk Hogan, and Vader was just selling like a cruiserweight, just, just flying all over the ring, and just it just looked ridiculous. Yes, uh, indeed. I mean, something else as well here with regards to protecting your 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 wrestlers, protecting your heels, and so on. The one man gang uh, as for a long time used a big splash as one of his main maneuvers, one of his main moves. He hits the splash on Hogan here. 
Hogan jumps straight up behind his back, starts hulking up to a chorus of boos, by the way, which I was really glad about. But again, he's took the, I mean, he could have, he could have kicked out at like two and three quarters or something. He didn't need to completely no sell the guy's move. You know, I mean, it, it is that old adage with Hogan, isn't it? It's like a wash or finish. I'm kicking out at two. That's the whole, you know, the whole adage that surrounds certain wrestlers. And Hogan is one of those. But he hulks up to, to just a chorus of boos. Symbols he's going to body slam the one-man gang, acting as though this is the second coming of Andre the Giant at WrestleMania 3, when it's clearly not. He body slams the one-man gang, hits his leg drop, one, two, three. Hogan wins. And I've simply got written here, yawn. I completely get that as well. It was like last week he... he um effectively ended Meng and uh, I mean he, he killed off his gimmick and now he's going straight after the one man gang I'm just wondering who will be next let's put a spin on that for a second there Danny then he's he's killed the giant he's thrown him off the top of a building okay um, yeah he's he's bounced Kevin Sullivan all around the place in a cage in the ring and whatever he's ran off the Yeti we haven't seen that dude in months, weeks, whatever. He's now gone through Meng and and, and the big scary part of Meng, the, the, the spike that he was using, now means nothing. And here's the one-man gang, the United States bloody champion, for crying out loud, who looks now as irrelevant as the Sodden Yeti does. What yeah. is left? Yeah, what is left in the Dungeon of Doom? Because of Hogan's politicking and Hogan's... The, the way Hogan has gone about his business here, what is left now of the Dungeon of Doom going into the Clash of Champions when Hogan is supposed to be having this big tag match with the Giant and, and so on. And then the next pay-per-view, you've got to be thinking that you're building towards the next pay-per-view. So Hogan is supposedly still a babyface. Where do you go with Hogan? Because there's no one left for him to work with because he's destroyed them all on television. It's It's just a shame. I mean, we... We've come to um, not not be a fan of the Dungeon of Doom, but appreciate the um, some elements of it, like Kevin Sullivan's promo work and things like that. So they've been building themselves up a little bit. And you've just brilliantly put all of the members have just been squashed. But, sire, there is one left. Do you know who that is? Oh, it's the fucking Zodiac, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, maybe he's going to be the final chapter for Hulk Hogan, his best mate slash weed carrier. Um, mm. Maybe he will be coming for him last. I don't know how he keeps that little bit of hair up at the front, though. That's got to be some super strong hairspray or, or wax or whatever to have that spike of hair coming straight out the front like that. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> he did beat uh, the, the artist formerly known as Barbara Beefcake at Starcade a couple of years ago, didn't he, before this? But that was under a different gimmick. He was, was he the butcher then or something like that? Yeah, I, I remember seeing that match and it was just like, wow, they finally got their WrestleMania main event of in the WSW equivalent of it. Yeah. <laughs> just just oh. let that sink in, Si. Brutus Beefcake has main evented WSW's biggest pay-per-view. Let's move on, shall we? Um, <laughs> the Dungeon of Doom and the Horseman, of course, run in to attack Hogan. Savage makes the save. So we basically get the visual here of 12-time world champion Ric Flair, uh, the enforcer, Arn Anderson, notorious for being one of the toughest guys in the business, 
uh, a man who is seven foot tall uh, and numerous other members of both gangs. Benoit, who is obviously, you know, well known for being incredibly, you know, technically sound, uh, you know, a big gang of blokes who in theory can really handle themselves all run scared from Hogan and Savage. Again, you're decimating your heel division. You're taking your groups of bad guys and you're making them, you're making them look weak, which is fine for that moment because Hogan and Savage are getting cheers at that moment. But that's that night. What happens next week? If your heels are made to look weak and foolish all the time, who has the baby face got to beat? A baby face, uh, to me, a baby face, a good guy in the wrestling business is only as good as the bad guys he's got to to to, to defeat. Only as, as the you know the the odds he's got to overcome and so on. So if you're if you're making them look like nothing on weekly television, who's going to buy the pay per view to see Hogan or Savage overcome the odds against people they've already made look like nothing on three television? Kevin Green. <laughs> no, well. but no, you, that is a great point, Si. It's like, what is the point of any of this if all the heels are going to be murdered? And is, is Hulk Hogan going to wrestle himself? That's what the big question is. Well, uh, that would be a long match because if Hogan wrestled another version of Hulk Hogan, neither of them would want to put the other guy over. So we don't no. we'd, we just end up with a series of 60 minute draws where all that happened was a lot of posing and a lot of finger pokes in the eye. So <laughs> it sounds like his dream. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Uh, one interesting note that happens here though, is Brian Pillman is all about getting in that ring. Pillman is saying, let's get him now. Let's get him. He's putting the, the giant towards him. He's putting other guys towards him. And Arn Anderson is turning around and telling Pillman, no, we'll do it tomorrow night. So on one hand, you've got to question the logic behind coming out in the first place. If you're just going to think we'll do it tomorrow night, that kind of didn't make sense. However, there's a little bit extra added here to the Brian Pillman, Arn Anderson, Four Horsemen instability, I think. Yeah, it's been, it's been great seeing um, that little story develop as well. It's like, um, this is exactly what Brian Pillman would do. He would jump in. While Art Anderson is more like the brains of the horseman, he'd be like, "Oh no, we'll do it tomorrow." So mm. that's a great point. Yeah, uh, yeah, and the sort of that just that uncertainty of what's going on with the horseman and so on, I find that very intriguing. So there we go. We get a closing Nitro. We get the standard rambling Savage and Hogan promo nonsense again, talking about when they might have another match against each other, potentially at Caesar's Palace, and Miss Elizabeth is going to be there to dot the I's and cross the T's and all that sort of nonsense and crap. And then we basically go off air and that's the end of the show, isn't it, Danny? Yeah, that was quite a weird ending where it just kind of just went to black, but I'm sure they just um, overdid their time with all this rambling. Yes, indeed. So our woos and our brothers, my friend, plus points, bad points, pros and cons. What you got for us? Woo! Brother, 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 brothers, brother, Woo! brother, Definitely, with the Wu, um, it would have to be uh, the put the title change in the opener because I didn't see it coming. Yes, I've got the same. My Wu this week is Savage winning the championship back. I didn't see it coming, even though I suppose somewhere deep down, I probably knew it happened here. But watching, I didn't pick up on it. 
I thought we weren't going to get that title change. And then when the title change happened, I thought we were going to get some kind of swerve that puts the title back on Flair. So yeah, Savage winning the championship. Enjoyed that. What is your O brother? The absolute devaluation of the US championship. Because, I mean, that's it's something... It's just a shame, isn't it? Just like, I mean, championships are supposed to elevate the talent, but completely it doesn't matter now as you said earlier si yeah i mean the u.s title is is one of those i suppose same as the intercontinental championship now in modern day wrestling in wwe the the intercontinental title now is not being looked after and i think it gets a little lost uh, you know a little bit i suppose the waters have been muddied because there are so many championships on wwe tv here in wcw and we've been watching Nitro now for however many episodes. This is episode 26 or 27 of Nitro Night, something like that. We have seen the US title be held by uh, an import from New Japan. We have seen the US title being held by Sting. You know, big names, big important, you know, uh, big important players, I suppose, in the business. I appreciate that putting it on the one-man gang was a last-minute decision because they had to get the belt off the previous champion i I get that however the way they've handled this having the u.s champion beaten i mean we spoke about it at length in the show i agree totally with you danny it just devalues the championship and you go back a couple of years that title flair held that title rick rude had some fantastic matches in 92 93 over that championship it's just and it's a gorgeous looking belt as well that's one of the most beautiful title belts going so yeah there we go uh overall then oh sorry i haven't given my old brother have i uh, my old brother however is i suppose i suppose in a way devaluing a championship but it's more a championship reign as opposed to a title itself it's hogan's name on the belt whilst rick flair is world champion what the hell it is a great point, Si. I mean, just... There's no explanation. I mean, it's just... Basically, WCW saying, oh, we know we're going to put it back on Hulk Hogan, so we might as well not bother changing the, the nameplay. I mean, it's two screws. That is the ultimate laziness, isn't it? It's either, it's either incredibly lazy because they just can't be bothered to change the plate, or they've not noticed, which is, I think, worse because they're not paying attention to their own product. Or even worse, they've noticed, and they just don't care. Yeah. Um, could this be why we never saw the Dove's W title for a couple of weeks when uh, Ric Flair had it? I don't know, actually. I don't know. I and mean, why, Flair, Sorry, go on. No, I was going to say, and why he was hiding it behind the robe and things like that. Maybe he noticed. Yeah, maybe. That would explain a bit, actually. Yeah, good shank. Uh, overall then Danny hit miss or middling my friend big hit this week because there was enough to keep me entertained and even though we had a few um, bad moments like the one band gang being devalued um, a, a big hit yeah how about yourself I, I'm going to go middle this week I'm going to go middle I think there was enough there to be entertaining I mean it's a 50 minute wrestling show so you haven't got to put much on in that short amount of time for it to be entertaining. However, I did fall asleep during the Harlem heat match. So I can't actively fall asleep during an episode of nitro and give it a hit rating. I, I think that'd be quite you know hypocritical of myself and the Hogan stuff just really pissed me off. However, the savage flare match was good. P- Pillman was fantastic. 
there's enough there for me to, oh, and the title change with Sting and Luger as well. There's enough there to make me want to tune in again next week. It was entertaining enough, but there was just certain moments that just dragged it down a little bit for me, mate. So yeah, middle for me this week. That's cool, mate. Okay, Danny, do you want to let everyone know whereabouts they can find you online and about all the shows you're involved in? Yep, you can find me on Twitter at Scottish Juggalo. You can hear me on One Man's Meet with the great Chris Bellis. And you can hear me here next week where we'll be talking about more WCW with the great Sire Powell. Ah, we will. In- oh, well, great. I don't know about that. You're very kind. You're very kind. But yeah, we will be talking WCW either way. That is correct. Uh, you can find me online at SJP Words, or you can find the network that we currently are well finding Nitro Nights on, I guess. As well as numerous other shows as well, like Chain Wrestling, the Doctor Who pod, uh, the In the Corner with Benny Mac, regularly scheduled hostilities with our trio of friends from the States. So much great content on the network. You can f- track that down at SJP World Media on Twitter, or SJP World Media is a group you need to find on Facebook. And on the main feed there, you get links to every new episode that comes out of all the shows. However, if you want to just listen to one specific show, you can search out the feed for that as well. So, for example, this episode of Nitro Nights will come out on the main feed. It will also come out on the Nitro Nights only feed. So if you don't want to listen to certain other topics or certain other shows, you can jump across and just listen straight to Nitro Nights and follow through. Or if you're new to the show and you want to go back and listen from the start all the old episodes of Nitro Nights are now uploaded on the feed. You can go back to episode one and listen all the way through without any other interruptions from different shows. However, if you want to go the other way and listen to a, a, a collection of voices discussing different topics, then jump on the SJP World Media main feed there where you get all the shows from the network all in one place. So there you go. The uh, most important part, of course, however, is to follow the show itself. And you can do that on Facebook and Twitter at Nitro underscore Nights. That's at Nitro underscore Nights on Facebook and Twitter and at SJP World Media all over the place. Danny, bit of blast, mate. I suppose next we have uh, Clash of Champions. Looking forward to it, sir. Indeed, indeed. And before we do go, we missed a week, Danny, didn't we? So by oh, way yes. of apology, by way of apology, real life gets in the way. You know, I, I had a few things on. Obviously, starting the network has took up a lot of my time. Uh, my, I, I ended up on one occasion when Danny and I were going to be recording Nitro Nights. I ended up having to go to hospital because I smashed my hand up at work and all this sort of stuff has, you know, has come up. So by way of apology, after you listen to this show, Go and check out the Nitro Nights and SJP World Media feeds. There's a little bonus episode in there for you. Just by way of apology, because Danny and I are that bloody nice. But there we go. There we go. Danny, I'll speak to you again next week, my friend. Take care, mate.